Good morning. I'd like you to join me in your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there are some in the pews in front of you. American Idol is a popular fad that I really have trouble understanding. Maybe it's because I have absolutely no musical talent. But I really don't understand why people put themselves up for that kind of abuse. People with varying levels of singing talent put it on display and then wait with anticipation or trepidation as a panel of judges gives them an all-too-honest evaluation of it. And even when that doesn't go well, then they hope that viewers will call in and vote for them. Well, I want to tell you something this morning. There is coming a day when you and I will stand Not before a panel of judges, Simon, Paula, Randy, whoever it is today. When you and I will stand, not before a jury of our peers, not where I can vote for you and you can vote for me. When you and I will stand, not where the evaluation will be based on singing talent, We will stand before the perfect judge, Jesus Christ, who will recompense us for our actions, for our deeds. That day is described in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, there's a lot of confusion about the judgment seat of Christ. And so, in order to help us understand it better, I want to answer five simple questions this morning. Question number one, who will be there? Who will be there? And there are three words or phrases in this verse that give us the answer. The first word I want you to notice is the word we in verse 10. It's the same we as verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. It's the same we as verse 8. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and at home with the Lord. It's the same we as verse 9. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. The we in verse 10 is believers, and so we can say that this judgment seat of Christ is only going to be believers. To help clarify, this is different from the judgment Jesus spoke about in Matthew 25 when he gathers the nations before him at his coming and he separates the sheep from the goats. That will happen at the end of the tribulation period. This is different than the great white throne judgment mentioned in Revelation chapter 20. That will occur at the end of the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ. And it will be only unbelievers Because if you read that passage in Revelation 20, it says the dead, small and great, will stand before the throne. 
The judgment seat of Christ is only believers. Secondly, notice the phrase, we must all. It's not, not only is it only believers, it's all believers. And it's a must. It's mandatory. In the last week and a half, I got two tickets. Don't judge me. Okay, I, I'm just sharing. I got a speeding ticket going 45 and a 35. I doubt I was really doing it. But the ticket says you can show up in court or you can write a check and send it in and be done with it. Nice option. I wrote the check, sent it in. I'm not going to show up in court. It's optional. The other ticket Lindsay actually got driving my vehicle with expired plates. I think we're going to go to court on that one because there's, there's some reasons. I don't have time to explain them. But, but it's an optional thing. You can show up or you can not show up. Well, the judgment seat of Christ is not optional. You have an appointment that you cannot cancel. You can't send something in so you don't have to show up. It's for only believers and it's for all believers. And then there's a third little phrase here I want you to notice notice right in the middle of verse 10. It says, so that each one may be recompensed. Each one. Every individual believer will be there. It's a personal appointment. We will not all stand there as a group. You will stand there as an individual. You will stand there alone. So who will be there? Only believers and all believers and each believer alone. And you won't be the only one there. Who else will be there? Jesus will be there. It's the judgment seat of Christ. And you can know that his knowledge is complete and his evaluation is flawless. You won't judge yourself because you have blind spots when you try to judge yourself. You won't be judged by your friends because they might be too lenient. Remember when I was in elementary school, I got in trouble, believe it or not. One of those rare occasions, and the teacher kept this boy and I after class, and, he, and she said, now I want you to paddle each other. Well, he looked at me, and I looked at him, and we each gave each other a little pat. Little pat, little pat, that was it. If your friends judge you, they may be too lenient. If your enemies judge you, they may kick you out. We will be judged by Jesus, who is perfect in knowledge, perfect in love, perfect in justice. In fact, that phrase, the judgment seat, is actually one word in the Greek. It's the Greek word, bima. 
It was used in the Greek games of the elevated seat where the judge sat so that he could see everything about the race from the start to the finish. It was a position that he sat in where he had an unobstructed view of what was going on. Well, Jesus Christ has a perfectly unobstructed view of your life, and he's the one you will stand before. Second question, when and where will it happen? The next thing on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. It's described in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Following the rapture of the church, the tribulation will take place on earth. The tribulation is referred to as Daniel's 70th week. It's referred to as the time of Jacob's trouble. It is a time when God will complete his dealings with Israel on earth. Now, while the tribulation is taking place on earth with Israel, what's going to be happening with the church in heaven? Well, Revelation 19.7 tells us we will be getting ready for our wedding to the Lamb and that our wedding dress consists of the righteous acts of the saints. In Ephesians 5, 27, it's put this way, that Jesus might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. I've done a lot of weddings in my life, and every bride has been beautiful, but I have never seen one that was without a single flaw or blemish. You see, the judgment seat of Christ, which takes place in heaven for the church while the tribulation is taking place, is a time when Christ is going to be preparing his bride, the church, for our wedding to him. Third question, what will happen? And to help you understand that, let me frame the picture four ways. Number one, it's not about sin. It's about stewardship. Amy Grant has a nice song out right now. I forget the name of it. More Than a Hallelujah. Is that it? When she was... Okay. (laughs) What's close enough? Better than a hallelujah. When she was 19, she wrote a song called My Father's Eyes. You like that song? Terrible song. Let me read you the second verse. On that day when we all pay for all the deeds we have done, good and bad, they'll all be had to see by everyone. And when you're called to stand and say just what you saw in me, more than anything I know, I want your words to be, she had her father's eyes. That's not going to happen. On that day, we will not pay for all the deeds we have done because they've already been paid for at the cross of Jesus Christ. 
You see, the judgment seat of Christ is not going to be dealing with sins. Sins have been dealt with. It's going to be dealing with stewardship. It's going to be dealing with your service to the Lord. In Matthew 25, Jesus told a story about a business owner who left on an extended trip. And he left three employees in charge. He gave one $5,000, he gave the other $2,000, and he gave the third $1,000 according to their ability. After a long absence, he returned and he brought them in to give an account. And the one with the 5000 invested it and it doubled it and now had 10000 The one with 2000 invested it, had doubled it and now had 4000 To both of those servants, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. The third took his $1,000, and this is a paraphrase. He put it in a mayonnaise jar, and he stuck it in the ground, and he kept it till his master returned, and he pulled it out, and he handed the $1,000 to him. It smelled like mayonnaise. And the master said, couldn't you even have put it in a CD in the bank? Couldn't you even have put it in a savings account and made a little bit of interest? And he said, take his $1,000 and give it to the other two. Judgment seat of Christ is going to be about stewardship. What did you do with what God gave you? So you're going to stand there that day and you're going to answer questions like this. What did you do with your gifts that I gave you? I gave you the gift of helps. Did you help people? I gave you the gift of teaching. Did you teach? What did you do with the talents that I gave you? What did you do with the time that I gave you? What did you do with the money that I gave you? What did you do with the opportunities that I gave you? Judgment seat of Christ is not going to be about sin. That was taken care of at the cross. It's going to be about stewardship and what you did with what he gave you. Second, it's not about quantity. It's about quality. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and notice what he says there. It's a very telling passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 11. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality, notice quality, not quantity, of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. The metaphor here is the metaphor of building a house. He says the foundation is Jesus. 
Once I'm saved, I'm on the foundation of Jesus, and my life, my service is the idea of building a house, a structure made up of my life, my service, my work for Christ. There are six kinds of building materials which fall into two broad groups. Gold, silver, precious stones are valuable and permanent. They represent those times when I do things in the power of the Spirit of God for the glory of God. The other kind of material is wood, hay, and straw. They are cheap and they are perishable. And they represent those times when I do things in my power for my glory, for the applause of men. At the Bema, they will be tested by fire. You read the description of Jesus in Revelation 1.14, and it says, Jesus' eyes are like a flame of fire. What happens to gold, silver, and precious stones in fire? They are purified. What happens to wood, hay, and straw in fire? They're burned up. You see, there are certain people that are going to come to the judgment seat of Christ, and everything they've done is going to be consumed with fire. The only thing that will be left is the foundation, Jesus Christ. And that's why it says at the end of verse 15, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. There will be people who get into heaven smelling like smoke. Everything they had will be consumed except their faith in the Savior. So let me ask you a question right here. How will your service for Christ stand up under the test of fire? Do you have quality or do you just have quantity? Third thing that frames this is it's not about condemnation, it's about commendation. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a great verse. When we become believers in Jesus Christ, our sins, past, present, and future, have been judged at the cross. There will be no judgment. There will be no punishment at the judgment seat. And just as the Bema was the raised platform where the judge sat to oversee the race in the Greek games, it was also the raised platform where the winners got their awards. We still do that in the Olympics. Somebody stands on that platform and they get a medal. In our day, we give a gold medal, a silver medal, a bronze medal. In that day, they gave crowns. There are two words for crown in the New Testament, two Greek words. One is the, the Greek word diadem, which is a royal crown. And the other is the Greek word stephanos, which is a victor's crown. These rewards are victor's crown. There was a, a, a garland that they put on their heads, and that, that showed that they were the victor. There are several mentioned in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 9, 25, it says, there's a crown of incorruption that will go to those who run the Christian life in a disciplined manner. In James 1, 12, there's a crown of life for those who persevere under trial. 
In 1 Peter 5, 4, there's a crown of glory for elders who serve faithfully and sacrificially. In 1 Thessalonians 2.19, there's a crown of rejoicing for those who have led others to Jesus Christ. And in 2 Timothy 4.8, there's a crown of righteousness for all those who have loved His appearing. Let me give you a fourth way to frame this. It's not about me. It's about Him. In Matthew 6, Jesus spoke about people who give to be honored by others, who pray to be seen by others, who fast to be noticed by others. And he says this, they have their reward in full. They did it so others were noticed. Here's their reward. That's it. That's all they get. You see, the rewards of God are just the opposite. He's going to give us crowns. Let me, let, you t- let me share something with you. You know what you're going to do with your crown? Let me read you a verse. Revelation 4.10 says, The 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God. I hear people say, you know, I just want to get into heaven. That'll be a reward enough for me. I really don't want any rewards. Well, let me tell you something. The rewards are not about you. The rewards are about him. He's going to give you a crown for the way you've served him, the way you've been faithful to him, the way you've desired his return. And you're going to be able to take that crown and put it at the feet of Jesus and bring him more glory throughout eternity. That's the, gift. That's the reward. You see, we are so selfish that from an earthly vantage point, we think, give me a mansion. You know, give me a, give me a crown. I don't care if I don't like to wear crowns. I'll strut around heaven with my crown on, and everybody will see me and think, what a great guy he is. Absolutely wrong. The best thing you can get in heaven where there's no selfishness is the opportunity to give Jesus Christ more glory. So he says, here's a crown. You know what you get to use it for? You get to throw it at the feet of Jesus and bring him more glory than you ever could bring him if you hadn't lived for him in this lifetime. That's the reward. And that will be the best reward you can get in heaven because your desire will be to worship him with all your life, all your time, all eternity. Fourth question. How will I react There are two possible reactions to the judgment seat of Christ, at the judgment seat of Christ. One is to rejoice. In the parable of the talents, the master says to his faithful servant, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. It's time of joy. You ever been to an award ceremony or a athletic banquet where they give out awards. It's a time of excitement and anticipation, rejoicing, applause. That will be the scene for many at the Bema. It is something to look forward to. 
Paul said in 2 Timothy 4.8, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul looked forward to that day. He longed to stand before the Lord because he knew that that was going to be a time of celebration. How about you? Do you long for him? He says, actually, you're going to get a crown if you love his appearing. How could I love his appearing if I thought the judgment seat of Christ was going to be some terrible, awful thing? We're to long for his coming because it's going to be a time of joy. Do you love his appearing? I went up Friday to the airport to pick up Lisa, and I was standing at the, uh, you know, they, because of security, they don't let you into the gate, so you stand there, and I'm looking down the, what's it called? The concourse. Is that what you call it? Huh? Yeah. That's what I said. <laughs> you guys are hard today. I, tough crowd. So I'm looking down the concourse, and I'm kind of on my tiptoes, you know, I can just see through a few windows, and I'm looking, I'm going, I think that's her, way down there, I'm looking, yeah, that's her, that's her, that's her. See, I was loving her appearing, and I was thinking about that. Am I that way with Jesus? Am I standing on my tiptoes going, maybe today? He's coming in the clouds, there's a cloud. I think it's him. But see, it was, it was sobering to me to think I'm excited about seeing her come down that concourse. And so oftentimes, I'm not even looking up for Jesus to come back. And Paul says he's got a special reward for those who love his appearing. We ought to be loving his appearing every day. Because when he comes back, it's going to be a day of great joy. And that's going to be a day when he's going to uncover some things that may not be evident to everybody else. You know, what you're going through today may be challenging and painful. And rather than people applauding you, you may be getting the opposite, opposition. Jesus said in Matthew 5:11, "Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great." Some of you may serve in a way that seems never to be noticed. You may be serving in a capacity and nobody seems to appreciate you. Nobody ever comes up and pats you on the back and says, "Man, you're doing a great job." You never get a standing ovation. You may even find yourself saying, you know, this is a thankless job. Well, guess what? There are no thankless jobs in the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Matthew 6, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Are you longing for that day? Because you know that on that day you're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Are you longing for that day because you know that's going to be a day of rejoicing? Or are you going to have 
a second reaction. The first is to rejoice. The second is to regret. 1 Corinthians 3.15 says, If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. What is it to suffer loss? Well, he doesn't lose his salvation because it clearly says that. What does he lose? He sees his whole life's work go up in smoke. He loses what could have been if he had just used his life to serve the Lord. For some, it won't be a time of joy. It'll be a time of regret. Listen to 1 Corinthians 4, 5. It says, Do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. Jesus isn't going to miss any information. In that day, he's going to bring hidden things to light. He's going to lay hearts bare, which tells me there's going to be some surprises in that day. There are going to be some people with some big buildings, big structures that look very impressive that are going to be burned up. And there are going to be some people who do things behind the scenes, and you look at them and say, boy, they got a small little house of work. And it's quality that's going to receive a well done from the Lord. You know, you hear people say there won't be any tears in heaven. Well, let me tell you something. The Bible says that in Revelation 21, 4, in the new heaven and the new earth. I believe there will be tears in heaven. And the Bible says God's going to do what? He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. I think there's going to be tears at the judgment seat of Christ because there will be regret there. Regret for neglected opportunities. Regret for poor investments. Jesus is going to say, what did you do with the money I blessed you with? And you're going to say, it's down there in my savings account. It's down there in my retirement account. How's that going to sound when you're in heaven? Poor investments. There's going to be tears of regret for people who actually lost their reward. There's a warning in 2 John 8. It says, watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. There are people who start out strong in the Christian life and they're going well, and they do not finish well. And the warning is, you may lose your reward because you haven't been diligent to finish strong. You see, for some, the judgment seat of Christ will not be a time of joy. It will be a time of regret. Listen to 1 John 2, 28. Now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. What will be your reaction if Jesus comes back today? Will it be joy or will it be regret? And then let me close with a final question. How should I respond? And I'm going to develop this into a message next time, so don't worry about this. I'm going to just touch on 
a checklist. Let me give you a quick checklist right around this verse. Number one, have the right purpose. Look at verse 9. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. What should be your purpose in life? To please the Lord. Because one day I'm going to stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ. That's the purpose. Secondly, the perspective. Look at verse 11. Right after talking about the judgment seat of Christ, he says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. We're going to talk about that next time because it's not a popular subject. People don't like that idea of fearing God. But he says your perspective ought to be to fear him. Purpose please him. Perspective, fear him. Third, your passion. Look at verse 11 again. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we do what? We persuade men. I know it's going to happen. What should it motivate me to do? I should be, have a passion to persuade men. Persuade Christians to get your life where it needs to be. To live for him, to please him with your life. Persuade unbelievers to come to him because I know the judgment is coming. Purpose, please him. Perspective, fear him. Passion, persuade others. Fourthly, your posture. Look at verse 11 again. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God. What's your posture? Your posture should be that you are transparent before God. You are made manifest before God. You may be sitting here today and say, I'm not looking forward to the judgment seat of Christ because I have done some things in my life as a Christian that I don't want him to shine his light on. Let me tell you something. The way you get ready for the judgment seat of Christ in that future day is to have your judgment seat today. Jesus is not going to deal with anything in your life that you have dealt with already. And for some of you, this is a great time to do that. Say, you know what? It's time that I get serious with God and let him make me manifest before him. I love Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. It says, The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I open the word in honesty and I say, God, judge me. Judge me. Lay me bare before you so that my heart is wide open. And when he cuts my heart wide open, then I say, you know what? My purpose is to please you. And my passion is to reach others. And my perspective is to live fearing the Lord. Maybe you're here today and you need to have a personal, private bema. You need to come face to face with Jesus Christ and say, I've been playing games. I've been going through the motions. I've been building a nice house made out of wood and straw. And there's a lot of Christians who stand around and applaud me, but I know that you're not pleased because it's my strength for my glory. 
I'm going to have the praise team come back, and I'm going to ask you to get real with him today. Maybe you want to use the steps to deal with him. Maybe you want to do it where you're sitting. But let's get honest with God. Let's be manifest before him. Let's, it's going to happen in a future day. You better let it happen today in honesty before him. Let's do that in reality today as we close our service. Let's stand together as we do that. And just make it you and the Lord today as we close our service.